One of the things that I love about God's Word is how often we can see how uh, kindly the Lord accommodates. He accommodates to our slowness to understand and, and that He's always accommodated to our slowness. And today in our passage, God offers us a teaching that uh, opens with an image, one image, and then concludes with a mirroring image, but with a difference. That is kind teaching. It's like one of those kids' magazines. Kids, you probably, you have these magazines where there's uh, two pictures, and you're supposed to look at the two different pictures, and they're, they're identical in most ways, but you circle what's different. What is that? There's a name for that. Spot the change or something. Spot the difference. I know. Yep. God does something like that in his word. That is gentle. We're in Exodus chapter 33 and chapter 34. 33, 7 to 11 tells how, uh, as the Israelites had traveled through the desert... Moses had been meeting with, it's a, it's a look back, Moses had been meeting with God in a tent way outside the camp. Now he would go out there and verse 10 says, and when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to this tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. And thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's the opening image of this Spot the Difference. That image breaks into the narrative that we've been walking through. So it comes right in after what we covered last week, this very painful, difficult episode. Moses had gone up and he'd received the law. He'd received the Ten Commandments, the civil law. And while he was away, the people turned to false gods. They turn to false hopes. They turn to familiar wickedness. Familiar evil. And then Moses, when he's confronted with this, Moses asked for mercy from the merciful God. And the Lord promised that he would not wipe out this people. He would actually be gracious to them because one day this sin would be punished. And we got that indication right there. Even that sin would be dealt with at the cross. There would be one. It wouldn't be Moses. There would be one who would be the propitiation, the sacrifice. But a problem still hangs in the air. No, the Lord is not going to wipe out the people. It's good. But this people is bent on destruction. They're bent on wickedness. They're inclined to evil. They are, as God says, a stiff-necked people, stubborn in their sin. And the Lord had said, now, take off your ornaments. These are the, it's the festive dress associated with idol worship that they had put on for this fertility uh, rite. Take that stuff off that I may know what to do with you. And that is what's hanging in the air. Sin. A 
taste for wickedness. It's there. Offense against their Savior. Offense against this Redeemer who delivered them out of Egypt. Against the God above all gods who's right there. Who'd chosen them and guided them. And it's with that waiting for a verdict. Now, now what? No, I'm not going to destroy you, but now what? That's when the narrative breaks. That's when this image of Moses going out, outside the camp to the tent of meeting, it drops right in. A man speaking with God as a man speaks to his friend. That's a flashback. It frames God's own answer to the problem of human wickedness. Because that's the problem that's been raised. Human wickedness. And now we get this episode, which we're going to look at closely. God's answer to the problem of human wickedness. On the other side of his answer, that's what we're, we're going to talk about the answer, but on the other side is the other image that frames it. About 40 verses after this flashback that of Moses going out to the tent of meeting, the new image comes at the end of chapter 34, is Moses coming down from the mountain with the two tablets of stone, and he doesn't know that the skin of his face shone. And everyone was afraid to come near him. They run, thinking he was a god, thinking he was perhaps an angel. And they, they're scattered until he calls to them. Oh, this is Moses. Huh. He calls them near. And then he covered his face with a veil. That finishes with this new image, beginning in 34, verse 34. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, the tent, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see this face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Second image. See the mirroring? Flash back. Now flash forward. Because that new, that new tabernacle, that new tent, hasn't even been constructed yet. So it's a forward look. New tent, the tabernacle, and it's a Moses who has been transformed by the Lord. By hearing the Lord speak. This kind of narrative signaling, that's what, if you're a literary critic, that's what you notice. This is narrative signaling. In the telling of a story, it's like, pay attention. Through the word, the Lord is saying, this is crucially important. He wanted people anywhere, everywhere, whoever might pick up his word, Jew or Gentile, who might pick up his word to understand what happens when a person and a people comes to know him. There's change. So what exactly happened between the two images? 
He's wanting us to ask that. What is it? Well, most succinctly, we could say that Moses comes to know God as he is. Moses comes to know God as he is. Now, it's true. Moses has been getting to know God for about a year. You remember, as we've been walking through this, Moses had been on a mountain, Mount Sinai. God had come in a burning bush on, his, on the Lord's initiative. Moses wasn't looking for the Lord. On the Lord's initiative, he came to Moses and he's been revealing himself to Moses over this year, steadily. And the more that Moses trusts God, obeys what he says, even weird stuff, the more that he trusts, the more God communicates and shares of himself. More. There's always more. And here in this moment, with the future of Israel hanging in the balance, sin hanging in the air, the problem of their wickedness, the Lord gently guides this leader of his people and he's guiding him to want and to ask for what he should want. To ask for what is most to be desired. The Lord is teaching him. So in the middle of potential disaster, that this people might just be left in the desert, Moses finds himself wanting God. That's what he wants. Pure and simple, he wants God. Look at chapter 33, verses 12 to 18. Again, the problem's hanging in the air. And Moses begins with the problem at hand. Moses said to the Lord, See, or behold, or let's look at this. You say to me, Bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses doesn't know. Will the Lord go with us? Are we going to be left? Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So here we are in the desert because you have delivered us. You came, you set us free, and then we messed it all up. Listen, you can't get around the problem. You delivered us, and we messed it up. And now you've promised an angel to bring us into Canaan. Grace, not only would you not wipe us out, you've promised to send an angel to guide us in. But now we know you. Now we know you. And what good is Canaan without you? You might take us. You send the angel. You bring us to peace and prosperity. You bring us to this promised land. But what good is Canaan without you? Have you ever felt like this? 
As a pastor, I, I pray along these lines sometimes. What good is this? What good is worship? What good is our religion? Or what good is prosperity? What good is having all the stuff that you could want? Having all the friends that you could want? What good is being admired? Being respected? Having anything good? Wealth and pleasure? If the Lord isn't in it. If God isn't with us. If God isn't the center of who we are and what we're doing, if he's not with us, or if we're not really, truly oriented to him, the motions should cease. What we need is to know the Lord. That's what this is all about. If we're not knowing the Lord, what are we doing? You have that feeling sometimes? And that drives me to prayer. Lord, if you are not showing yourself to us, if you're not opening our hearts to want you, if you're not giving us more understanding of yourself, then just crush this thing. Scatter us. Send us. This church should end. I think that's a right prayer. If this isn't your work, then it's just a, a human thing. It's just a, it has social dimensions. Well, you can get that somewhere else. That's all that matters ultimately. Because he gives meaning to everything else. Well, that's what leads Moses to pray. That's what's driving this prayer. You have said, I know you by name, and you have my favor. I have favor in your sight. I have grace. Now, therefore, Moses says, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you. That I may know you in order to find favor in your sight, in order to continue in this grace. Consider, too, that this people, this nation, is your people. In other words, Lord, you have said and you have shown that you have grace toward me. You came to meet me in the desert when I was roaming around with sheep. You've shown. You came and you made yourself known when I wasn't looking for you. And now, Lord, now that is the only thing I desire. That's what I want. And I've seen the truth. I've seen it. You're the only thing worthy of all my desire. And because you're the only thing worthy, and I've seen this truth, I want this for my people too. 
It's driving Moses' desire, but he speaks here as a leader of the people, and he says, I want this for them too, that they would know you. And so then he asks, he's asking on the basis of God's expressed love to know him more. As I pointed out in our series on prayer, I guess that was epiphany. We looked at this passage. Even before Moses can actually ask it, even before he can fully articulate the request, God jumps in and gives the answer to it. Moses has not yet asked, will you go with us? That's the conclusion, but God breaks in and says, my presence will go with you. This is what he wanted to give all along, but the desire had to be there. God sees the desire and he moves even before it can be spoken. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So God's, this assurance, God's assuring word of his commitment, it frees Moses up to ask on behalf of the people, this rebel people, Yes, that's what we need. That's what we want. We need your grace. And if you won't go with us, what's the point? And so Moses asks it. God's already answered it, but Moses is now free to ask it. If you won't go with us, don't, don't take us up from here. Do not bring us up from here. Because having... Having you is the point. This is, reminds me of the disciples, right, in that moment where the people are scattering and Jesus says to them, are you going to? And they've seen enough to say, where else shall we go? You have the words of life. What other good is better than what you are giving us? So what's happened here is that the world has become clear for Moses. The lines of decision have become perfectly sharp, perfectly defined. He has seen the consequences of sin, and he has tasted the goodness of God. And come what may, whatever hardship, whatever consequences, whatever difficulty, he wants the Lord. Come what may, he wants the Lord. Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of clarity, like all the time, day to day? You can perfectly see, yes, this is terribly difficult what I'm about to go into, but I will know the Lord in it, and so I'm going. Oh, if we could have that clarity. It gets crowded out, doesn't it? It gets crowded out by our worries for our well-being. Fear of losing control. But this is what the Lord, the great teacher, was guiding him to. To want what is supremely worth wanting. To want the one good thing. So Moses at this point doesn't care about the promised land. He doesn't care about the goodness of the law. 
or the peace of the people. Those are all good things. But they're not right in front of his face. But he says, if I have found grace or favor, if you really like me, like you say you do, then let me know what you're like. So that I may know you and continue with you. And that is what is meant by his request that we are given here. Please show me your glory. Show me your glory. For my sake, for the people's sake, give us this gift of showing what you're like. Please show me your glory. So at the heart of this transformation that we've seen, from that one image to the next, at the heart of it is that God reveals who he is to Moses. He reveals his merciful, compassionate character. And he does it by drawing near to Moses and speaking who he is. Giving him a glimpse, seeing a part of who he is. Even as we sang in that song, holy, 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 Anything more than a glimpse would unmake a person. Though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see. Moses gets just a glimpse. And as God is near, God speaks who he is. Verse 5 in chapter 34 and following. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed... The name of the Lord. The name means the character. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The I am. I am who I am. I am who I am. A God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. There's a whole sermon in this name. There's ten sermons in this name. I apologize for moving quickly. But this name, this character that God speaks, is the ground of all existence. It's the ground, the foundation, the character of how the world is formed. The good world emerged from the Creator. And so as designed, it's consistent with who He is. The good world... We still can see glimpses of the unfallen. It's consistent with who he is. So things like cause and effect, principle of cause and effect, an ordered world, natural consequences, those things are predictable because of who God is. That's a reflection of what God is like, that there's order, that there are consequences. That's what's meant here by when there is a grievous sin, it has ripple, it has impact. 
You only need to look at your own family. That's a natural consequence. That's how the world is built. And we only get those consequences, the negative ones, because the world has fallen. But the order of the world, even that, even with this, yes, there are natural consequences. And God, in his wisdom, doesn't just wipe them away. Because the world has to be ordered. Despite that, there is this overwhelming imbalance towards mercy and grace, towards forgiveness. It's imbalanced because that part, that, that character of God is so enormous. He's telling the Israelites that what they just experienced, not being wiped out, despite rebelling in his face, the whole world is given that constantly. The whole world isn't just dissolved and destroyed in a moment, moment by moment. Because God is merciful. That's his character. It's in his nature to constantly pour out goodness and truth, making it available, constantly offering life Hope, while forgiving and overlooking corruption and destruction. Instead, he looks on the wreckage of his world, he looks on the wreckage of human beings and his creation, and he contemplates how to save. How to save. Well, the truth of who God is washes over Moses. 34 verse 8 God speaks his character, and Moses hits the deck. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. You see what happened there? Moses immediately turns the truth of what he has heard into a prayer. He acts and he speaks according to what God has shown he's like. According to what God has said he is. God is merciful. God is steadfast in love and compassion. He forgives iniquity and sin. Moses hears it and he says, do it! Yes! Yes! Forgive us. Go with us. Moses heard it. And as we've seen, Moses emerges from this encounter. Transformed. He literally glows with the glory of God. Because he received who God is. The truth of who God is. It does not take a sophisticated or a brilliant reader to grasp this. It's so clearly laid out. We were made to reflect God. We were made in his image. This, this reflection, this glory that, that Moses is experiencing, 
That's the design. That's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's going to be. So when that happens, when a human receives who God is, transformation happens. And when Moses comes down the mountain, he's transformed. This is true for us. As we come to know him and desire him above all things, we are transformed. Now, before God sent his son into the world and poured out his spirit, this, this knowing worked from the outside in, right? This knowing God happened through this people Israel. It happened through the tabernacle, then through the temple. It happened spatially in a place. People came there. They encountered God. His word was being spoken. They worshiped him. They were transformed from the outside in. Practice. Learning his ways. But the Apostle Paul, helpfully, he uses this same passage to teach that the Son came to give us greater access. It wasn't just to the Moseses and the Davids. It wasn't just to the, the big guys, the important ones. It's to everyone who would draw near. Everyone who would draw near to God and know him. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and following. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, that's this covenant that shows people their need for God and how they fall. That's the ministry of death. If it came with such glory that the Israelites couldn't gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, a glory that was temporary, fading, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation... The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was temporary. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As it was with Moses, it's the grace of God. It's who he is. Coming to know him, that transforms us. Moses came down the mountain glowing because he had come to know who God is. He beheld and he heard the word in a spatial way. From the outside in. But we behold and we hear in a different way. We behold and hear 
the same word as he speaks it through the Bible. You've got power in your hands. God is speaking in that book in your hands. It's his own words, and the Spirit makes them alive in us. And we're transformed from the inside out. Our skin's not going to glow, but our soul will glow. Because he's speaking the inside. Knowing God's mercy, knowing God's mercy then, in the inside, we speak to obey and live according to his grace. On the outside. So how do we look at God today? How do we behold? As Paul says, we behold his glory. And we're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. How do we behold? We gaze on him with the eye of the mind. Contemplating how he is presented to us in the Bible. The word made flesh. The son, the word was made flesh in Christ. And made so much more accessible to us. That we can see God's image. His grace is on display. Jesus displays this character of God. So not just, not just in a name, but in everything he does, this character is displayed principally through the cross. He is goodness and truth. He is long-suffering and forgiveness. And knowing him and valuing him above all things... We are transforming men and women that he made us to be, the design he made us for. We're being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another. You might find that hard to believe of yourself. But I'd say, look back five years, ten years, maybe 20 years. What do you know of the Lord? You are being transformed. And this has its fulfillment when we see him face to face. When we see him face to face. It's on the other side of death. Let me just say it. It's on the other side of death. You see him face to face. Death is not our enemy. It's a step. It's a step to seeing him face to face. Father, would you awaken in us longing to see you? Longing to have uh, ourselves, your design in us fulfilled, that we would be completely the man and the woman that you made us to be. You are the good maker Thank you for speaking truth into us. Thank you for making yourself known and available. Lord, let your word have its effect in us fully. Transform us. In Jesus' name.